It's March 22nd, 1980. Bunker Hunt sits in a private jet. A Lockheed Jetstar, to be exact. He's usually too cheap to fly privately, but he's desperate enough now to spring for the luxury because he's pressed for time. That's because the price of silver is plummeting. Right now, it's about $20 an ounce, down from a high of $50 in January. And although Bunker and Herbert are very rich in oil, properties, and all sorts of other investments, the hunts are very short on cash. When the price of silver was shooting up, the hunts were making a killing, and people like Henry Jarecki were paying millions in margin calls. Now that the price is plunging, the situation is reversed. The hunts are on the hook. And the price of those margin calls is getting astronomical. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Their situation is getting dire. And this is the problem with margins. I'll let Barbara Walters and Bunker Hunt himself explain. Should someone who doesn't have a lot of money buy on margin? Buy silver on no, margin? No, no, it's too risky uh, to buy anything on margin. And people without much money should not do it. Here's the situation. Banks across the U.S., Paris, Zurich, and Frankfurt are terrified of lending the Hunts more money. So now, as he sits in this private plane, Bunker is on his way to meet the last source of cash he can think of, his fellow silver enthusiasts in the Saudi royal family. They're getting hurt by the falling price of silver, too. So if Bunker can just convince them to give him a loan, he can raise enough cash to survive this crisis. The jet lands in the city of Jeddah, Saudi Arabia's commercial capital, which overlooks the Red Sea. And Bunker goes to a hotel to await his meeting with the royals. Bunker waits and waits and waits in his hotel room, but the meeting never comes. According to author Stephen Fay, the Saudis are angry that Bunker got them into this mess in the first place. Worse than angry, they're embarrassed. Bunker flies back to Paris empty-handed. Time is running out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Campside Media, I'm Bijan Steven, and you're listening to Eclipsed. Throughout the 1970s, Bunker and Herbert Hunt were just two regular American billionaires on a quest to get even more rich. But when federal regulators discovered that the Hunts and their allies had purchased more than three quarters of the world's privately available silver, the regulators intervened. Hunt has bought so much silver that the Commodities Commission is currently investigating his silver trading activities. To prevent Hunt or anyone else from cornering the market, the Chicago Board of Trade is limiting the number of silver contracts. The Hunts have insisted that they are the victims of the price fluctuations and that they did not cause them. The silver trading markets changed the rules on the Hunts in the middle of the game. And the Hunts found themselves trapped with a lot of silver, a lot of debt, and nowhere to hide if the price fell. Now the price of silver is falling rapidly, costing the Hunts hundreds of millions of dollars. But Bunker and Herbert have no intention of quitting the game. Tensions come to a head on Thursday, March 27, 1980, a day that will become known as Silver Thursday. 
This is the fourth and final part of our series on Silver Thursday. This is episode four, The Margin Call. It's March 25th, 1980, a Tuesday, three days after Bunker's failed trip to Jeddah. Herbert gets a call in Dallas from one of the hunt's most important lenders, a bank called Beish. The bank tells Herbert that they just had to cover $135 million in margin calls on the hunt's behalf. Herbert calmly tells the bank that he and Bunker can't pay. After hanging up with the bank, the brothers get on the phone to discuss what to do. They can't pay the margin calls. And if they default on their loans, the banks are going to sell their silver. All of that silver getting dumped onto the market is going to lower the price of silver even further. And that means Bunker and Herbert's entire silver caper is going to collapse. So the brothers need a quick way to raise some cash. As they speak on the phone, Bunker and Herbert come up with one last gamble to save their fortune. Bunker bucks. It's a new silver-backed currency, and it will be the solution to the brothers' banking problems. Okay, they're not actually called bunker bucks, and they're not a currency strictly speaking. This new silver venture is a bond. The plan is to get private investors to buy in with cash to refill their coffers. The brothers toyed with this strategy the previous year, but with their backs up against the wall, they go for it. The Hunts send a press release to wire services so the whole world knows about this exciting offer. But it doesn't work out that way. It's obvious to pretty much everyone that the bonds are a completely desperate effort. Bunker bucks are a bust. And now that the market realizes how frantic the hunts are for help, the price of silver drops even further. The high in January was $50 an ounce. It was down to $20 while Bunker was in Saudi Arabia. Now it's all the way down to about $15 an ounce. People are starting to get nervous. And they're starting to sell like crazy. And Henry Jarecki sees an opportunity to profit off of the chaos. He and a friend set up a telex machine. A telex is sort of like the middle step between a telegraph and a fax machine. Jarecki and his friend announced that they're going to be buying silver that night. And there are lots of people who want to sell. Usually you tried to make a penny an ounce with silver, but uh, that night we said, ah, it's going to get very busy. Let's try to make a dollar an ounce. In the course of one night, we bought and sold 15 million ounces. And uh, as my friend Sal said the following morning, he said, uh, we really had a good year last night. So Jarecki is making a killing. But most of the rest of the financial community is freaking out. And when everyone starts to freak out, it's the regulator's job to calm them down so the entire economy doesn't get trampled to death by panicking stampedes of bankers and traders. Enter. Federal Reserve Chairman Paul Volcker. Tonight, Paul Volcker, Chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. Our strategy is to restrain the supply of credit. Are you willing to accept parenthood for this recession, sir? No, I'll claim no paternity. I don't even like the question being asked. Volcker is probably the most legendary central banker of all time. King of the regulators, if you will. He's six foot seven and constantly smoking a cigar. He's serving as the Federal Reserve Chair under President Carter. Volcker regulates the banking system. And as financial journalist Diana Enriquez explains, 
The hunts are causing the banks a lot of trouble. Bankers are getting more and more worried. Wait, you, you know, we loaned you $100 million, collateralized by $150 million worth of silver that is now only worth $108 million, and it's shrinking every day, and it's getting pretty close to the $100 million we loaned you. So we're nervous. We want to be paid back. And the price was steadily drifting down. The Hunts are telling those banks they can't pay. And one of the most vulnerable of those banks is Beige, the bank that got stuck paying a $135 million margin call because of the Hunts. The head of Beige picked up the phone and called Paul Volcker and said, I think you should know what's going on. Now, Volcker was immediately mystified. He didn't regulate silver. He'd never heard of the Hunt brothers. He didn't regulate Wall Street. At this point in 1980, Volcker has one singular obsession. He's the one in charge of fighting the high rates of inflation that you might remember caused Enriquez to see a new price for a can of tuna fish every other week. His chief weapon against inflation is to raise interest rates. The way you're going to get those interest rates down is by persisting in policies that will indeed continue to bring the inflation rate down. Paul Volcker is just starting to turn the screws. He's just starting to raise interest rates. He knows he's going to need to keep raising interest rates to kill inflation. And if he's got sick banks on his hands, he's not going to be able to do that. So all of a sudden, his effort to cure the inflation crisis of the 1970s is looking down the barrel of a gun, a silver gun. I mean, it's like, what do you mean I can't raise interest rates because these banks will have taken such a huge hint from these two guys in Texas. Volcker has no authority over the silver market. The man who does is Jim Stone, the young chairman of the CFTC. Stone is the one from the last episode whose agency is so weak that he was pretty much powerless to do anything himself to stop the hunts, but who was able to convince the markets to impose limits on the hunts themselves. Washington is going through a strong anti-regulatory phase. And authority over the financial system is so decentralized that Volcker and Stone have never even met before. Volcker doesn't even have Stone's phone number. The chairman of the CFTC, that's the guy I need. Get me his phone number. He calls Stone and he says, I want to know the size of the Hunt brothers' position in silver. But speaking of that anti-regulatory phase, new government rules prevented Stone from giving out information on customer positions. Stone had to tell Paul Volcker, a very angry Paul Volcker, I can't tell you that, sir. Volcker's speechless for a minute, as Jim tells it. Said, what do you mean you can't tell me? Um, he explained that there was a law that Congress had passed that forbade him from releasing that information. Well, Volcker just exploded. The people up and down the hall could hear him ripping Jim Stone's head off. But Jim Stone doesn't give in. And Paul Volcker is left ignorant of the exact nature of the Hunt brothers' threat to the banking system that he regulates. It's a moment that really speaks to just how powerless the regulators are in the face of what's coming. And it's about to get worse. Because now that the banks and the regulators are nervous, Wall Street is about to hit the panic button. Welcome to Silver Thursday. (laughs) 
By the time the stock market opens on Thursday, March 27th, traders know all about the Hunt brothers' problem with the banks. They were huge investors on Wall Street. They had the trust fund portfolios of any plutocratic trust fund child of that era. Well, if they're going to need money to bail themselves out in the silver market, how are they going to raise it? They're going to sell stocks. So the fear on the trading floor at the New York Stock Exchange was that the Hunt brothers were going to start dumping stocks at the opening to raise the money they were going to need to pay off their creditors for their silver speculation. Some traders decide they need to get ahead of the hunts and start selling immediately. Others are moving in to short the market. The selling accelerates. The ticker falls behind. Uh, One trader said it was the craziest day on the trading floor he remembered since the exchange had learned of the assassination of John Kennedy. Here's a nervous London trader describing the worldwide financial chaos in a BBC interview. Nobody was making money. Everyone was trying to save money. They were saying, sell me out. Basically, sell me out. And after a time, it became sell me out at any price. It was just one of those frantic moments where you're trying to get out of the way of an avalanche of selling. While Wall Street panics, Paul Volcker helps organize a meeting at the Federal Reserve in Washington. His goal is to get as many regulators from as many different agencies as he can into one room. The crisis has already jumped from the silver market to the banking system. And now it's jumped to Wall Street. All these disparate agencies need to somehow work together. Among the guests is the young regulator that Volcker had chewed out the day prior, Jim Stone of the CFTC. Yesterday, Stone had refused Volcker's request to reveal the Hunt's position in the silver market because Congress had made it illegal for him to do so. But now, with the economy in such clear danger and government officials bearing down on him, Stone bends the rules and reveals the Hunt's position. It's $800 million. That's more than $2.5 billion today. It was such a staggering number that the bank regulators frantically ordered bank examiners to check the vaults to be sure that the silver that they supposedly had had not been pledged multiple times. In other words, the regulators are making sure the hunts haven't used the same pile of silver as collateral at multiple banks, which would be very bad for the economy. Because in that case, the banks would have even less collateral to make up for the brothers' staggering losses in the silver market. So all over the country, banks are getting these phone calls from Washington and sending employees into vaults to physically count the bars of silver. Suddenly, those bars are integral to the health of the entire banking system. Thankfully, all the silver is accounted for. But the banks are still in trouble. It was a a day in which regulators were constantly checking the pulse of all of the banks. At the SEC, they were constantly checking the balance sheet, the running balance sheet of all of the brokerage firms uh, to be sure that no one was in distress, no one needed an emergency loan. Over the last few days of falling silver prices, the Hunts have been lobbying for the regulators to shut down the silver market. Because if the market closes, then all of the silver contracts will be settled at the existing price, which would mean the Hunts wouldn't be able to lose any more money. In fact, if the regulators had closed the market early enough, the hunts could have even still cleared a profit. It's past that point now, 
but the regulators still need to decide whether to close the silver market and thus prevent the hunts and the bank's losses from being so bad that the economy can't recover. The regulators decide they'll make their decision based on how the London silver market performs when it opens Friday morning. They spend a tense night waiting. And when the London market finally opens, they have a lucky surprise. The price of silver is stable. It even goes up a bit. It's the news everyone has been hoping for. The stock market quickly settled down, but the banking crisis wasn't over yet because when the dust finally cleared and the price of silver started to stabilize into the following week, it turned out that the Hunt brothers owed their creditors, their bankers, $1.1 billion, which they didn't have and couldn't pay. That $1.1 billion would be worth $3.5 billion today. And if they default, the banks might not be able to absorb such a huge loss. As luck would have it, pretty much every banker in the United States is about to head to the beach at Boca Raton for a weekend conference. So the Hunts decide to go too. It's time for a Boca bailout. It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. Introducing Osea's bestseller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil and Body Butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat yourself to glowing, healthy skin this summer with clean, vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, you can get the Best Sellers Body Care Set valued at $78 for 33% off. Use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. It's the evening of Sunday, March 30th, 1980, in Boca Raton. And the Hunts might have to give up on their wish of owning all the world's silver. But they don't have to worry about suffering the indignities of poverty. They don't even have to worry about selling their racehorses. The Hunts are simply too big to fail. Paul Volcker, chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, was said today to have gone to the aid of the Hunt Brothers of Texas last month when they needed help to pay their silver speculating bills. Rather than let a billion dollars in bad debt take out the banking system, Volcker helps arrange for the brothers to get a billion-dollar bailout loan. The banks all come together to do the deal, and they use one of the Hunt family oil companies as collateral. Later that spring, everyone gets dragged before Congress to explain themselves. 
Bunker and Herbert remained defiant. At no time did I attempt to corner, squeeze, or manipulate the silver market. This is Herbert's congressional testimony. At no time did I participate in any agreement to corner, squeeze, or manipulate the silver market. At no time did I attempt or agree with others to manipulate the silver market. <laughs> the brothers testify that they continue to just think silver's a good investment. They end up losing a lot of money in the deal. They're no longer the richest family in the world. They have to be content with being merely extremely rich. Diana Enriquez argues that Silver Thursday is the first in a long line of devastating financial crises that have continued to this day. Unfortunately, Silver Thursday failed to sound the alarm. It was a, a, a wake-up moment for those who paid attention. Unfortunately, very few people did pay attention. The financial press did not cover itself with glory, and Congress did not cover itself with glory. It was still too worried about who was going to regulate what and which congressional committee would be in charge. Um, so it, it was sort of like the Cassandra crisis. It was telling people, whoa, the rules have changed, guys. You know, your crisis is my crisis. Instead, Silver Thursday became more of a curiosity than a warning. It just didn't inflict enough pain on enough people for anyone to learn their lesson. But I had to ask Enriquez one last question. What if the hunts had succeeded? Someone could write a wonderful dystopian novel about what if the Hunt brothers won, right? But what I fear would have happened would have been if the Hunt brothers were able to have gotten away with this. You know, they're not the only plutocrats in the oil business. They're not the only plutocrats worried about inflation. They're not the only plutocrats who could profit if you drove up the price of any asset. So they could have been the first act in a long-running series of market corners. Last I looked, the price of silver was hovering right around $23 an ounce. And that's in today's dollars. Seems undervalued. If you happen to be extremely wealthy, let me give you a piece of advice. Don't get any ideas. Next week, we present to you our first ever wormhole episode. So from time to time, in between our reported episodes, we'll bring on a guest to take us through a wormhole of their choosing. This season, we've got stories on William F. Buckley's favorite murderer, Forgotten World War II battles, an influencer egg, and more. So tune in next Tuesday for a wormhole with author Brandy Scalace, who will be talking about head transplants and one man's quest to isolate the human soul. Eclipsed is a production of Campside Media. It's hosted by me, Bijan Steven, and written by Michael Canyon Meyer. We're produced by Lane Gerbig and Joe Hawthorne. Allison Haney is our production assistant. Archival research by Caitlin Rathie. We're fact-checked by Alex Yablon. Our engineer is Garrett Tiedemann. Our theme song is by Doug Slaywin. Our executive producers are me, Bijan Steven, and Michael, $50 an ounce, Canyon Meyer. The executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Scher, Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Vanessa Gregoriadis. 
Special thanks also to Diana Enriquez, Artist Burst, and Henry Jarecki for talking to us. If you want to say hello or what's up, drop us a line at eclipsed at campsitemedia.com or tweet at us at EclipsePod. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me at Steven on Twitter and Twitch. On Instagram, I'm at Cakes. We also have a phone number. Leave us a message, pitch us a story, or tell us your nightmares. Give us a call at 949-490-2127. You might be featured on an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time. God damn, that's a lot of text. <laughs>